for Radio Sydney for Australian Broadcasting Media and with us today I'm is myself Rupert Guinness one of the two hosts of this show and the other co-host is Aaron S. Lee from the United States who's with me on the line now. Aaron we've got a chock-a-block uh, edition of What a Ride uh, on this episode we're going to talk about a whole heap of things ranging from the wrap-up of the summer of cycling in Australia and we're going to have a quick look at the uh, uh, one of the big stars of the Australian track team for the world championships in England Anna Mears we're going to touch on the uh, tragedy of Dave Mir, a BMX uh, legend who uh, lo- uh, lost his life recently and the issue of depression in sport and of course we're going to not uh, let this edition pass without uh, us discussing the uh, life after the Super Bowl in the United States. And also we're going to finish off with bike fic expert specialist Robert Driscoll. But uh, Aaron, welcome back to the show, mate. Uh, are, you, are you as excited as I am? Well, I am totally excited, Root. But I've got to be honest with you, I'm still probably in a bit of recovery mode. Um, as, you, as you're well aware, it's... It, uh, New Orleans has been quite a party the last couple of weeks with Mardi Gras, uh, obviously underway, and, and it, it concluded with Fat Tuesday um, last week. And I think I'm still a bit uh, in, in a bit of a celebratory uh, hangover, so to speak. It's a hard thing to get out. Well, everyone's allowed that every time of the year, uh, this time of the year, particularly over there. It's funny how you call it Fat Tuesday. I don't know. What do you call what Wednesday? Wild Wednesday? <laughs> well, uh, I guess you could there, but it's actually called Ash Wednesday. Which uh, it's, it's obviously Fat Tuesday. It's a uh, the whole Mardi Gras concept is, is based around uh, the Catholicism and the, the Catholic um, holiday period of, of Lent, uh, leading up until Easter. So Ash Wednesday, the whole purpose of Fat Tuesday is is a, a bit of debauchery and excess, I believe, uh, before you, you you give up something uh, for Lent, which is traditionally uh, he, I think the in the olden times, uh, the, or the biblical times, so to speak, uh, was uh, meat. Uh, you give up red meat or whatever, but I guess in more modern times now, you're just supposed to give up something that that, that you, you can't, you know, normally live without, and uh, provide a bit of a sacrifice for 40 days and the lead up to, to of course, Good Friday and the Easter holidays. But uh, for me, uh, I haven't really, uh, I'm, uh, I'm not practicing much anymore, so I, I haven't really given up anything. <laughs> well, uh, we've we're here in Sydney. We've got Mardi Gras coming up. Uh, it's not too far away in the next few weeks or several weeks, um, and uh, we're getting to the end of our summer of cycling, or the end of summer total in Australia. But uh, the cycling season is in Australia sort of come and gone, and now everything's sort of uh, in the thick of the Middle East at the moment and then going to crank up over in the United States. No, not in the United States, uh, mainly in Europe with the big classics. Uh, it's been too long since we've seen some bike racing in, in Europe and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Aaron, um, let's take a little break and we'll come back after this little selection of music from you. If you could just dip your fingers into your LP collection there and uh, we'll come back after this bit of music.
listening to What a Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. As we said, we're going to talk about uh, many things on this episode, but first up, we're going to talk to Aaron about life after the Super Bowl. Like, how do Americans pick themselves up, probably literally, as well as metaphorically, after the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, we saw, uh, as always, the Super Bowl finals. It's a great show. But, Aaron, uh, interested to see what you felt about the Super Bowl this year. Was it a great game or uh, or was it not? Because I hear, like, defence ended up winning the game. Well, it really did. You know, the, the old adage in, in American football is that the defence wins championships. And, of course, that was the case for the Denver Broncos, which are led by one of the, the most prolific quarterbacks in the history of the NFL, the National Football League, Peyton Manning, who is a New Orleans native. Uh, of course, Peyton Manning, his, his father, a legendary New Orleans quarterback, New Orleans Saints quarterback, Archie Manning, his brother, quarterback, uh, of course, uh, that's Peyton's brother, uh, Eli Manning at the Super Bowl winning New York Giants a few years ago, and, and of course, there's Peyton who had won a Super Bowl previously with his uh, old, or his former team, the Indianapolis Colts, before being traded to the Broncos. So it was a, it was a really good, it was a really good win, obviously, and, and, and a very exciting time here in New Orleans, who, who became de facto Denver Bronco fans over the weekend. But uh, you know, it was kind of rumored that they expected that this would be uh, Peyton's last game. He's 39 years old. He's lost, uh, he's lost a bit of steam. Uh, from his arm, and you know he, he, he's not moving quite as well as he, he has. Obviously, uh, previously in his career, he, he suffered a few injuries uh, that actually had him sidelined a bit this year. And they've got a young prospect, a young uh, quarterback prospect that filled in quite nicely. But now there's there's a little bit of talk now that Peyton may actually come back for another season. But if so, I read today on Fox Sports that it, if so, it won't be with the Denver Broncos. Ah, so who do you think it will be? I mean, is he is he is he chasing the money? It's not like he needs it, or is it just the uh, uh, the sense of wanting to have a change. Yeah, well, I think it's one of those things where we, we see a lot in, in boxing, don't we? Where where the where the age champion just doesn't know when to walk away, and, and, and there, there's probably not a better scenario in the world, a more storybook scenario than, than going out on top and winning a winning a world title or a national championship uh, or something like that. And, and obviously, it'd be nice probably for Peyton to step away. Uh, but I guess he's still got that, that champion's pride. Wants to, you know, he's had that taste of uh, victory again, and he, he wants to, to have another crack at it. Of course, he ended up beating. They ended up beating the Carolina Panthers, who only lost one game all season, and was led by young uh, NFL MVP uh, Cam Newton. And of course, uh, Cam drew a lot of controversy in the post uh, post game media conference, and that it looked like he was a a bit of a sour loser, so to speak. But I, I don't necessarily think that was the case. I think there was a. It came out in the end that, that they were overhearing a press conference in another room, and he was listening to uh, the, the the different Broncos, one of the defensive players, more or less kind of put down the Carolina Panthers offense. And, and Cam just, as you would, just had a bit enough of hearing about it and, and decided he'd just walk away uh, during his own press conference. So uh, rightly, rightly so, I guess. But. Uh, yeah, it, it was just an interesting game, and, and I think everything's back to normal. Again, here in New Orleans, uh, if the Saints aren't in it, at least one of the, the homegrown uh, sons uh, were. Okay, now what about with just you know away from the uh, the game itself though, with the whole festival around the U.S. over over the Super Bowl final? I mean, is the week after a slow week for for Americans, or is it uh, you know where do they direct their attention to on on the sporting spectrum? Well, you know, it, it, it actually is. Of course, one of the big things around the Super Bowl uh, 
uh, weekend is obviously national recruiting for the colleges. The, the NCAA Division 1A schools are, are recruiting some of their uh, high school prospects that will be coming into the, the, the collegiate levels the following year. So that is a, that's a big time. Turning our attention to uh, basketball and then obviously the, the spring training is about to kick off underway for, for Major League Baseball. So there's, there, there, there's, a, there's a little bit going on, but there is a bit of a lull um, afterwards. Again, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of stuff on post-Super Bowl. There was a lot of controversy, I believe. Maybe you saw it uh, about Beyonce uh, and her halftime performance. And there's always a little bit of uh, controversy around the uh, – it wouldn't be the Super Bowl without a bit of controversy, uh, going back to the old Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake wardrobe malfunction. And, of course, <laughs> you guys, I think, have a little bit of something about halftime show problems with, with uh, a little bit of the Rugby League World Cups and, oh, oh actually, the Rugby League uh, Championships. Um, I think there's been some, some problems there with, with Billy Idol and things like that in the past. But, um, yeah, there's been a little fallout with, with, with Beyonce. There was a bit of, uh, I guess, a, a bit of noise that was made off what appeared to be a celebration of, of the Black Panthers movement, the minority group, the, uh, the, the, the activist uh, group from uh, back in the 70s. That obviously, uh, of course, there was a, a bit of a uh, Olympic debacle that went along with that, too. I think that was in, in was it that in? Mexico City, I believe, or was it Munich? Yeah, that's right, that's right. You know, so, I mean, uh, memories are still pretty strong of that and it's always referred to. And obviously we're into an Olympic year this year, Aaron. Uh, has, has the Olympic uh, groove sort of struck yet in, in the States? I know here in Australia it's just starting to pick up now. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of noise. But, you know, to be quite honest, I don't know that I've ever seen a precursor to an Olympiad that is so quiet. And there's just not a lot of noise. Um, a, a lot of talk going on, at least here, with the Olympic Games coming up, and, and I'm not sure what that's from. If that's just, uh, if, if maybe the Olympic Games, or or, or perhaps, I don't know, a group, are they are they have they outlived their, their usefulness? Is there so much attention towards more mainstream commercial sports? Is our is our attention span become so small that it's so short that we just we can't comprehend something that's still you know seven six seven months away? I'm not sure. That's been a lot. Of, of talk about the Olympics, but I'm sure that'll pick up as, the, as it grows closer, for sure. Yeah, look, I agree with you there, Aaron. I, I think also um, you hit the nail on the head with, you know, I mean, with, with professional sports and, and all so much sport becoming broadcasted. And also, I think, in the current environment where sports like uh, athletics are going through their doping crisis, a lot of interest as to whether Russia should be there at the Olympic Games at all in any sport. Um, obviously, cycling has its doping uh, past, and I shouldn't say just past. I'm sure it still happens. Um, and maybe there's a sort of uh, out there in, in the sporting world well, there's a little sense of um, apprehension that uh, whether these games are going to necessarily be um, uh, yeah, necessarily going to match the uh, the image of what Rio is all about. Because perhaps uh, I think people are bracing themselves for uh, for some uh, uh, you know some issues such as doping. If not, we've seen in uh, other sports uh, match fixing in tennis and things like that. So I think maybe the market, the, the public, are generally getting a little bit sort of sceptical and wary. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. It seems like over the last. Going back to the Beijing Olympics, and even we can include some of the Commonwealth Games, not so much Glasgow, but back, back when they were hosted in, in, in Delhi, um, it seems like there's always that little uh, air of, of apprehension and skepticism going into the Games. Will the host nations, will the host cities be able to pull it off? I know there's been a lot of controversy and a lot of uh, talk and reporting there about would Rio be able to pull this off in time with a lot of the infrastructure still um, still quite you know, not set set in stone, so to speak. 
But uh, I, I'm, I'm totally, uh, I totally believe Rio will, will pull off a, a fantastic uh, Olympic Games and, 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 and very much looking forward to it. Uh, to hit back on NFL just for one second, for, just for the, all of our Australian listeners, uh, I know that there's a, there's a, for the fans who actually do follow the NFL, a lot of focus has been on Jared Hayne. Um, on that regard, as he plays the San Francisco 49ers, we actually we were talking about Jared during preseason training camp back in August here on the show. But uh, just uh, just came in um, the last 24 hours that the San Francisco 49ers, who who have a new coach now, who uh, a new coach has been named in the off season, and which left a little bit of skip, uh, a little doubt really whether about Jared Haynes' future because the coach and his staff were were real proponents of, of Jared. But uh, the new coaches come in from the Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagles, and, and the 49ers declined a trade that would have sent uh, Jared Haynes to another team. Uh, that's all in the next the last 24 hours. So Jared Haynes is, is still uh, quite set as a San Francisco 49er moving into the 2016 season. Well, that sounds like good news. Sounds like he's still very much in, in the frame there. Unlike uh, Australian soccer legend Tim Cale, who, uh, who's uh, just overnight his team in China have told him that he does, or the new coach there has told him that he doesn't fit into their plans for next year. So uh, uh, I guess one person's fortune in Jared Hayne is, is another person's misfortune in Tim Cale. Obviously different football codes, but uh, it just shows how um, tenuous... Uh, uh, footballers, uh, or if not sports stars, futures can be, no matter how big a name they are or not. No, absolutely. But I guess that goes a bit, a bit with any of us. If you, you know, you, you, you lose a step, and sooner or later you're replaced by a younger, faster, bleaker, <laughs> better model. But I'll, I'll tell you, um, I, you're just, I'm just hearing this now, Ruth, uh, obviously about Tim. So um, you know, what a great ambassador for the sport he is. I'm sure his future is still a lot of bright things and great things ahead. But he is, hats off to him, Chef because he has done an amazing job of helping put soccer in Australia on the map. Yeah, you're dead right there, dead right. Okay, well, you're listening to What a Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. We're going to take a little break, listen to a little bit of music, and we're going to come back and just have a quick recap on the summer of cycling in Australia and the question of whether... The Australian races really did need a marquee name or not. It was one of the uh, continuing issues, so stay tuned and we'll speak shortly.
and Aaron S. Lee. Just before that bit of music, I said we're going to talk about the question in the summer of cycling in Australia as to whether marquee names uh, are needed in the Australian races or not. And we were talking earlier about how tenuous uh, marquee sports stars, uh, their futures can be or not. And Aaron, one thing was remiss of me, I forgot to ask you about uh, Peyton Manning. Uh, Just going back to the Super Bowl final there. Um, You know, he's come under the spotlight uh, recently for uh, some of his uh, um, allegations of his past uh, back, I believe, uh, when he was, well, several years ago anyway. Um, Can you enlighten us a little bit? Because I know it's made the headlines in the US and it has actually come to the fore here in Australia. Um, And I guess at the very least it shows that the polish that was around his image may not necessarily be so so bright as uh, as it's been put out to be. You're spot on, Ruth. But, you know, uh, Peyton Manning has always had a a bit of a squeaky clean image that that all-American boy next door appeal. And, of course, we mentioned, you know, son of an NFL legendary quarterback, Archie Manning, brother, a fellow Super Bowl-winning quarterback, Eli Manning. Uh, So this was a bit of a surprise. This goes back to his college playing days. We mentioned earlier that he played for the University of Tennessee, the Vols. Um, It was quite successful. It made headlines back then because he chose to stay his senior year and play and forego an opportunity as a junior to enter the NFL ranks and and go for a lucrative uh, multi-million dollar pro contract. That was something that was just starting to become 
the vogue thing to do, um, so to speak, where athletes would leave uh, as an undergraduate and, and chase the money, which I don't necessarily disagree with because you do obviously run risk of injury. There are lots of examples of, of athletes doing just that uh, and then missing out on a pro career. Uh, but, of course, this goes back to 1996 allegation. Peyton Manning is one of several Tennessee uh, athletes and members of their, their sports administration that has come under fire for over 27 different, different examples, specific examples of sexual harassment and discrimination uh, being levied uh, by uh, one of the associate trainers there. And uh, so that's a, it, it, that's a, that's, that could be a real dark spot, a real uh, tarnishment to, to what has been a, an absolutely stellar career, both on and off the field. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether that um, uh, impacts his future as to whether, uh, you know, will, will it impact whether he will continue playing for another year or not. Uh, obviously, it impacts a lot of other things too. The issue itself, um, the uh, the uh, the person who's made the allegations and is the alleged victim, because um, obviously these issues are not just about the superstar that's targeted. It's obviously a lot of other people who are in, uh, affected by it. And if the allegations are true, certainly to the victim concerned. Now, another big marquee name in the world of sport who is certainly accustomed to a lot of scrutiny uh, and a scrutiny of a different nature, I should stress, uh, is uh, Chris Froome, the two times Tour de France champion. He was in Australia to uh, get some training in and also take part in and race and win the Herald Sun Tour, uh, which sort of uh, signed off on the summer of cycling. Now, Chris Froome, he, he knows all about scrutiny coming on him. He's had to deal with it over his uh, last few years, um, particularly uh, as he's been leading and then winning the Tour de France. Uh, a lot of that scrutiny is over the um, legitimacy of his performances and the inevitable question of doping or not. Anyway, uh, but we're not here to talk about that in this segment. We're also going to talk about, though, how well he won the Herald Sun Tour. He uh, won the final stage up Arthur's seat uh, to also take the yellow jersey off his uh, British teammate Pete. Kenyuk, the British champion who won the Cadell Evans road race. Now, I guess the question I wanted to ask, Aaron, uh, and it was a question that was continuing on during the summer of cycling as to whether uh, Australia's races need the big marquee names such as Chris Froome. Um, you know, in the, at the two down under, there was no major international marquee name. We had Aussie marquee names. Um, but uh, it was a question of whether these races need them or not. Uh, the Cadell Evans road race had Mark Cavendish. He didn't finish the race. Um, but but then again, you had Froome who goes and wins the Herald Sun Tour. What's what's your view, Aaron? I mean, can you have a, a really good race without marquee names, or do you need a marquee name to sell the race to the to the broader general audience? Well, I'll tell you. I, I think our friend, uh, our friend Ryder Hachendall, would disagree with you about the marquee international names coming to the Tour down under. <laughs> yeah, st- I'm, I'm standing corrected again. <laughs> We did have we did have obviously a marquee name in Ryder Hesedal, uh, two twelve Giro d'Italia winner and uh, and a multi Olympian who uh, who was at the two down under. Absolutely, a, a guy who's actually he's looking at. Uh, we were talking about the Rio Olympics route, but we're looking at a guy who's possibly going to go to his fourth Olympiad, uh, three on the road, and of course he started his Olympic experience as a mountain bike rider. When you look at the names, obviously you, you mentioned Mark Cavendish at the uh, Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race, uh, which also Ryder Hesedal did. Um, and then we look at uh, we look at the Herald Sun Tour as you mentioned, Chris Froome, phenomenal. Uh, two podiums, he finished second on stage one. He 
fourth on stage two, and of course uh, winning Arthur Seat, which is you know the, uh, absolutely one of the world class ride anywhere uh, in, in any race, and to, to win GC, and then of course. When you look at the podium and at the Tour Down Under with guys like Garens and Dennis and Port, I don't think we're missing out on anything. I think, uh, if anything, it was more exciting than ever. And, and look, Tour de St. Louis, it had a lot of marquee riders. It had Katana uh, and Ibley and, but I, and Sagan. But you know what? I don't think the, the caliber of racing there was any better or was any more publicized than it was at the Tour Down Under. And, of course, Cadell Evans' Great Ocean Road Race in its second year was phenomenal. And then uh, Harold Sancho or Chris Froome really kind of put that race back on the map, so to speak. And that's, and that's a race that, is, that has a long, rich history. Yeah, look, I agree with you. I think, I think we had a great summer of cycling, to be honest, um, from start to finish. And uh, I just think, uh, you know, it was, it was great that Chris Froome sort of signed off on the summer of cycling with, with that win. It sort of uh, showed he and the, and the Sky team, uh, because obviously Pete Kenyuk was leading from the, after stage one, uh, how they respected the race. And uh, the best way to respect it is to race it. You know, they could have just poked around and used it as training miles and not done anything, but that would have been a long way to come just to do that. So uh, I thought it was a great... Um, summer of cycling and um, I think that uh, the two down under a lot of people saw uh, some great racing and um, and again the Cadell Evans race I thought was better than the inaugural event which I thought was still one of the my, my favourite events of the year last year so uh, I really don't think we can ask for too much more I think probably some of the courses maybe tweaked a little bit just to the betterment uh, to create some sort of change but that's about it but uh, you know um, now we're head, looking ahead you know we, as I said we're in the uh, in the Middle East now, or well, we're not. Uh, we're in we're poles apart, aren't we, Aaron? Literally, almost. But uh, uh, soon enough, we'll be heading towards the uh, the major classics in Europe, which I'm really excited for. It's easy to get uh, this early in the season, but have so much racing to have uh, seen and talked about that uh, you, you tend to forget. We've still got another what uh, 11 months of the year to go. No, absolutely. Of course, you know it, it seems like the the, the Middle East. It so the world of cycling is is just kind of constantly there. Uh, it's great to see Marcel Kittle get back on the win, uh, the win board, so to speak, and, and there at the Dubai Tour. Uh, he was able to take two stages over Mark Cavendish, um, and then obviously take uh, not only the, the general classification, but also the points classification as well. Really good to see that. It, was, it just seemed like it, we were unsure of uh, Marcel Kittle's future after last year. Uh, he just kind of disappeared, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. But uh, you know, it's, I think everyone's uh, everyone's better for it now that he's back. And um, I think it's going to be there's going to be some great tussles amongst the sprinters. Uh, it's good to see Mark Cavendish get back in Tour of Qatar. He won that overall and bagged uh, uh, two stage wins. Um, but Christoph got three stage wins there. So I think we're going to have some mighty battles up there at the front end of the uh, of the peloton and those bunch sprints. And I think come the Giro, we'll get to see a lot of those guys there together in one race. One of whom will it be Caleb Ewan and the Oracle Greenwich team. So uh, I'm pretty pumped for what's coming up. Uh, Aaron, let's just take another quick break. And um, when we come back, we're going to talk, uh, still on cycling, but we're going to change track, literally, to the track, and about Anna Mears. You're listening to What a Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee.
Welcome back to What a Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. We were just talking about the Australian summer of cycling that came to an end recently, but it wasn't all about what happened on the road. It also happened on the track, and in Adelaide we saw the Australian Track Championships from where the Australian team uh, was selected to take part in the upcoming World Track Titles in London from March 2 to 6. The uh, superstar of the Australian Championships was none other than Anna Mears. Anna Mears won three titles, the Triple Crown, the Team Sprint, the uh, Individual Sprint, and then the Kieran. Now, Aaron, uh, you know, this uh, for, for Anna Mears, uh, 11 times the world champion. Uh, she's won 36 national titles. Uh, she uh, And she's Olympic gold medals as well, notwithstanding. I mean, what a star she is. I mean, she never ceases to amaze me how good she is and also how strong she is. No, you're exactly right. She's, she seems to be ageless, too, Rupe. I think she's, and it, correct me if I'm wrong, I think she's 32 years old now. Is that Does that sound right? Look, uh, she'd love you for saying that she's ageless, and uh, I'm, I'm not going to confirm or deny her age. I'm going to leave that pressure on you. Uh, you can go down with that one. Oh, thank you so much. What, uh, maybe you could do some Wikipedia searching while I, <laughs> while I look for that uh, right now. And yes, yes, she is in fact 32 years uh, of age. Thank you, Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> September 21st, 1983. But she is, seems to be forever ageless, and she seems to also just keep getting better and better. And of course, she won this year uh, again over over Stephanie Morton, who had won the title in 2013. Stephanie Morton, an Olympic champion herself in her own right uh, uh, in the Paralympics, um, where she was the pilot uh, of, a, of a rider. And uh, she's just 25 years old. It seemed like Stephanie was starting to get better of Anna over the last two years, Rube, to me. And But but now here we are getting, we're sniffing. We're so close to Rio. We talked about it earlier in the show. We're sniffing the uh, Rio start so close. And, and it seems like Anna, like a fine wine, just keeps getting better and better. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, our uh, erstwhile colleague, uh, Reese Homfrey from the Advertiser in Adelaide, he just last week had a, a terrific story uh, where he uh, revealed uh, some of the personal strife that Anna Mears has had to deal with over the last year, where she still managed to come up with such performances, but she, uh, she's, you know, she separated from her husband, and um, she spoke to Reese about how hard that was uh, to deal with it, uh, and it's just amazing where she is now. But just during the national titles... Um, we uh, picked up a couple of interviews from her, and we've got them here for you. And I know it's been a couple of weeks now, but it just shows a bit of the side about Anna. Now, there's two short interviews here. The first is just after she qualified for the uh, for the sprint final. That was her second of three titles. Um, she beat Carl McCulloch in the semi-final. Now, this interview with her was taken just after that, and it just talks about her pathway to the final. She talks about some of the, hand- the difficulties of handling the pressure, um, her pathway to the final, and also the challenges of being number one. Have a listen to this. It's an intriguing insight to her. And then after that, we'll come back and uh, have a listen to another interview with her. Back wheel now. Mears accelerates. McCulloch this time closer. Up the straight. Mears coming. McCulloch out of Mears gets there. She's into the final again. Yeah, this one was a hard foot one. Very hard foot. I've, I've been nursing a quad strain since Friday last week. And qualifying didn't go so well yesterday. And I was really unsure. And, you know, I think I drew a really hard semi with Carly. And... I just wanted to get through the semi. Is all I just wanted tonight. Just get through the semi. And I feel like I rode really well. Gave myself some confidence, and I just wanted to lay some hard races along the line for Steph because I know she's been in great form. You know, 10-9 in qualifying, the first woman ever to go sub 11 at the national championships. She's just, she's just going better and better and better, and I've really got to work so 
hard to, to stay on top. Now Mears has got her jammed up on the fence. No love lost there. They're going to hold her there. Great racing at the moment. That's great tactics. Now it's about speed and power. Mears, Morton on the outside. Mears on the inside. Side by side they go. Up the straight. Mears and Morton. They go to the line. I think Mears has got them. No, it's real pressure. You know, there are three, you know, with all due respect to all the women in the field, there are three very, very strong contenders in myself, Steph and Carly McCulloch, of which all three can ride in different positions in the team sprint. There you were. You were just listening to Anna Mears talking just before, uh, or just after she qualified for that uh, uh, final of the sprint of the national titles. So have a listen to this. This is also Anna after she won the Kieran title, which was her third of three titles, and it made her the uh, the, the, the rider of the tournament. Now here she talks about, uh, um, you know, looks a bit further ahead towards Rio, but she talks again about the depth of uh, women's sprinting uh, in Australia because it's not just about her and Stephanie Morton, but as we said before, Carl McCulloch uh, gave her a good shake in the semi-final for her to get into that final. So let's just have another listen, listen to uh, Anna Mears um, talking after she won uh, the uh, the Kieran final to jag three titles out of three. Here comes Mears. Mears coming back at her. Morton. Mears coming up there. Up the straight. They go to line. Mears, Morton and Belder. Anna Mears has done it. The world champion. What a ride. She led it. Anna Mears, what a win. <laughs> uh, again, hard for a race. Um, I wasn't quite convinced to let Steph roll over me a uh, lap and a half out, so I fought her a little bit and then was comfortable that she wasn't dragging people with her, so then I was happy to let her slide in front of me at the bell and then just was jumping at the bit to try and come back around. I was seeing stars in the last bend and hoping that she was going to keep a nice tight line because otherwise I would have hit her. Yeah. 
really pleased, really happy. Um, you know, as much as the results, I'm really pleased with. It's more how, how I've been able to conduct myself, how I've helped myself mentally, how I've made decisions, you know, what I've seen and how I've acted in races is what gives me the most confidence. Um, and I know that as hard as these races are, riders like Carly, like Ricky, like Courtney, like, like Stephanie are pushing me, and not just me, but themselves as well. So we're actually, I think, going to be in really good stead by the time we come to the international competitions at the World Champs in four weeks' time and ultimately Rio. Welcome back to What A Ride with Rupert Guinness and I was about to say Anna S. Mears, Aaron S. Lee. <laughs> but I know, Aaron, uh, you, just, you just heard those words from, uh, from Anna Mears. I mean, um, she's, she's so eloquent, isn't she? She'd do a better job on this show than I would. So, uh, be... <laughs> no, 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 she, she does quite well. As a matter of fact, she's done some, some TV and some television, some race hosting there in the past. So I see that as a potential future for her post-cycling career, but of course, uh, she's not going to be hanging it up anytime soon. Um, she is a fantastic, uh, not just a fantastic track cyclist, but she's a fantastic ambassador for sport, and not just women's sport, Ruth, uh, all of sport. And, you know, I, I've said this quite a few times. I'd like to throw this out there and get your thoughts on this. Uh, I've often said that, that Anna Mears, and when it comes to cycling, and in Australia specifically, Anna Mears would probably be up there, and, and you might could throw Caroline Buchanan in, into this mix a bit, but definitely Anna Mears and Cadell Evans are the the, the two. Uh, you ask nine people on the on the or ten people on the sidewalk who Cadell or Anna Mears. I believe nine people or so would, would know who they are. Whereas I, I'm not so certain that those same ten people that two or three of them would even know a Simon Garrens or a Richie Port. Yeah, look, I think you're pretty much on the money there. I think, uh, you know, I mean, obviously all, all may change by the end of this year, but, I mean, uh, right now I think, uh, you know, Anna Mears is a household name, um, definitely, without a doubt, and, and Cadell Evans. And when we're talking about household names, you know, we, we have to think real top-shelf, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, top-of-the-mark athletes who have really gone beyond just etching their names within their respective sports. We're talking about people who, as you said, you can go into any household and uh, you said the name Anna Mears or Cadell Evans, they would know what their hallmark achievements are. And there's every, every uh, chance that they will have seen them in the public somewhere because they're both athletes who will go out there and engage in the public, particularly Anna Mears. I remember after the last Olympics when they had the um, Welcome Homes celebration uh, or march in Sydney and she was at the back of the uh, field of uh, of all the athletes and she was one of the last athletes as they reached Town Hall still signing autographs from the public because I remember I sort of hung back just to watch Anna Mears and she was soaking it up all up in you know all the atmosphere of it all and everything but she was giving back to the public she didn't rush when she had photos taken with with uh, with, uh, with the punters on the street she signed autographs and she was smiling nonstop. Uh, do you find that Rupert, because of you know uh, 
and of being a track athlete or track cyclist. And of course, we mentioned some of the great road cyclists there. We, you know, the triathletes are, are often phenomenal as far as meeting with the fans and, and age groupers and, and, and the media and whatnot. And obviously, it, it, those sports, I think, draw, they, it kind of attracts a certain caliber of person. But, but let's face it, those sports just simply aren't as mainstream as, as rugby or soccer or you know, American football or baseball or cricket to where they don't have the time demands on them that some of those guys, those professionals do, to where they can be a little bit more available to the public. Yeah, I think you're pretty right there too. You know, actually, another side about Anna Mears, which is going to be absolutely uh, of a massive gain for the Australian team uh, in Rio, is her experience and her ability to handle uh, the pressures. I mean, she's going to have enough pressure on herself um, and her own expectations of what she will want to do. But her presence alone for the younger athletes coming through on that cycling team um, will be absolutely massive. And and um, you know, she while she's going to be focused on her own task, uh, she will certainly help out. Uh, other athletes when and where she can uh, but like I said just her presence alone will, will help younger athletes particularly the Olympic debutants. it'll help settle their nerves because uh, they'll see how she handles it all and if anybody can get through anything that's Anna Mears Well you know it's, it's probably been about a year or so since I've actually had a chance to, to chat with Anna and I remember the last time I talked to her I just asked her I said look how long are you going to do this how, you know, how, many, how many more years do you do you want to ride that bike? And she said, you know what? I'm going to be riding that bike when I'm 80 years old, and I'll be on that velodrome. I may not be competing, but I'll be out there on the boards and uh, having a go. Yeah, I remember when you did that interview, because she came up to me and said, who is that guy? Yeah, no, no, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> and by the way, thanks for getting, thanks for getting me that interview, too. <laughs> Okay, you're listening to Water Ride. Checks in the mail. <laughs> you're listening to Water Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. I think it's a bit time for about time we have some music. We're going to have another shift in gear, another shift in pace when we come back, and we're going to talk about uh, a person who's been lost to the world, not just of cycling but of sport. Um, Dave Mirror and the consequences and ramifications of his tragic passing. Stay tuned to this bit of music, and we'll speak afterwards. Keep 
Welcome back to What A Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. Just before that uh, bit of music, we are just talking about the uh, passing of Dave Mira, the uh, BMX super legend, um, who has also uh, left his name in the world of rallycross racing as well. But uh, he was a superstar of, of the sport. Uh, tragically, he uh, left this world and... Um, his, 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 his tragic passing um, had ramifications around the world. Aaron, uh, can you just first up just let us up in a little bit about Dave Mirror and, and, and what sort of uh, legacy he's left to the sport and also your feelings about, uh, about what happened to him because uh, obviously you know quite a lot about his story and uh, so if you just you fill us in a bit there. 
Well, absolutely. Well, you know, Dave Miro, an American hero, uh, especially the BMX and the, the X Games, so to speak. He, he won a medal at the X Games in every year from 1995 to 2009, with the exception of, of one year there, 2006. He won 24 medals in all at the X Games and was just a phenomenal athlete. You know, he was a guy that was, you know, his name was up there with the likes of Joe Parsons or, or uh, of course, Tony Hawk. Um, just a phenomenal athlete. And, and of course, you know, at age 41, just three years younger than myself, uh, uh, on, on February the 4th, 2016, uh, he, he obviously took his own life um, with a, an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound uh, there in his home, Greenville, North Carolina. And, and I think, you know, uh, what a tragic loss. I mean, you mentioned, obviously, uh, he had crossed over to, to rally cross. Uh, you know, you and I, we, we really love and, and, and have a lot of respect for athletes who, who try different sports and, and, um, and, and mix it up a little bit. He had, he had just moved into to 2014. He started a, a career in triathlon. And, um, and I had the opportunity to – we touched base a few times to try to connect for a, for a couple of interviews, and we just never could, you know, as you know, as often the case, we couldn't lock down a time. And before you knew it, time had passed. And now, you know, unfortunately, not going to have that opportunity to, to, to pick up that phone and, and, and chat with him. And and, um, and and that's a that's a that's a big loss. Um, a similar situation happened with uh, Head Wheels founder Steve Head. Uh, uh, again, uh, tried for, for months to, to for us to touch base. We never could. And then, of course, there was it was too late. Um, but a sad day with his loss, and, and even sadder when you realize it was it was something as tragic as, as suicide. Something that you just hope and should be so preventable. Yeah, exactly, Aaron. And I think it just goes to show that, you know, uh, the, the, the potential for suicide and, and uh, mental health issues is just as strong uh, amongst uh, sports people, uh, whether they're amateurs, weekend warriors, or even the uh, super elite champions uh, of sport. It's not just uh, an issue for, uh, well, it's an issue actually for everybody concerned, but uh, quite often we get the impression that uh, the sports stars are uh, uh, infallible, that nothing can break them, and it shows really that. They're fighting their own demons uh, that we often don't see, which reminds me, Aaron. You know, earlier in the, uh, well, in an earlier episode, we were talking to uh, a good friend of ours on the show, Matilda Reynolds, um, a triathlete who was doing a lot of work for Batia, which uh, deals with a lot of, uh, um, well, a lot in this area with mental health issues. And um, I believe, Aaron, you um, were rummaging around and you sort of uh, pulled out that interview that we did with her before. Uh, I, I did. In fact, I did, um, Ruth. That, it was an interview um, with, with Tilly uh, back in August of last year when she was filling in for me while I was away. But she was able to, to, to share with us a little bit about what Fatir is all about. And, and obviously, we just got word that, that, that Tilly has, has moved on now. She is, actually has a, 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 a job there with Specialized now, I believe, Ruth. That's right. She's moving down to Melbourne. If she's not, she's moved already down to uh, work for Specialized in their marketing uh, department. Well, let's let's go to the, let's go to that. We wish, obviously, we wish uh, Tilly well with that to move, and we know that she'll have great success. But let's go to that interview um, with Tilly and and, and just remind uh, ourselves and and our listeners just a little bit about Batir and 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 other organizations such as Beyond Blue and and, and places out there that uh, that obviously offer a helping hand. Hey Tilly, look, I know that uh, you know it's not just triathlon that's that's something that you're driven by. You know, uh, there's Batia, the organisation that works with mental health issues. Um, I know you've, you've spoken to me, you know, several times about about this. I know you're going to a Batia ball 
tonight, That's I understand. Right. Um, yep. Did it party for you? Or what yeah, it's it? going to take about six hours to <laughs> make me look like a, I need, I'm going to a ball. But yeah, yeah. So that's on tonight. So yeah, no thanks, Rube. So I work. Um, well, I've previously worked and and now volunteer for an organisation called Batir, and um, it's a for-purpose organisation. And what they do is they work um, with mental health and youth. And essentially, we we run school and university programs where we utilise trained speakers who have gone through a mental health. Um, who have had mental ill health and come sort of come through the other side and we utilise them as a part of the program to share their story. And essentially what we're trying to do is just to show, um, you know, young people that it is okay and to seek help and to talk about it. Um, suicide is the biggest killer of people um, my age. Um, I think you're just out of the bracket route. But uh, <laughs> certainly um, for 45... Um, the age 45 and under, um, it's it's the biggest cause of death, and it's you know it's it's something that's by choice, and that it's just the figures are horrific, um, and so yeah, we look, it's real, you know what we're trying to do is just to try and I guess uneducate people around what they think mental health is, and it's not this big dark scary thing you're not allowed to talk about. It's something that you should be openly communicating about and just putting your hand up and saying, look, I'm. I am struggling, and, and whether that be in school or in your family, and just starting to seek help, because there are a lot of um, Lifeline, Beyond Blue, Black Dog Institute, there's an in Headspace, there's some incredible organisations who can, you know, see you through to the other side, so whether that's your school counsellor or seeing someone else with your family, um, yeah, we just try and encourage people to seek help and, and um, through education and showing through these speakers that, you know, they now live a very fulfilling, um, happy life, um, which they may not have if they hadn't seeked that help in the first place. It's interesting, obviously, uh, you know, mental health is, is something that, that permeates, uh, or well, mental health issues is something that permeates throughout all of society, but, um, you know, uh, you know, sport has been used as a, as a platform to, to help create awareness, because I guess there's, there's this perception, um, you know, elite athletes, are, they're, they're, they're supposed to show their strength, they're supposed to not show weaknesses, um, they're supposed to be, you know, unflappable, uh, be able to handle pressure. But uh, obviously, it's an issue that does affect sports uh, athletes, whether they're elite or, or uh, the weekend warriors. But um, um, how, do you, how do you use use sport as a platform, and, and also trying to make without them sort of, uh, I guess they have to support the cause as mm. well, don't they? they? Have to be feel comfortable to come out and talk. Yeah, we're, we're really fortunate to have a number of ambassadors, both, um, yeah, particularly in rugby, um, and we'll have more, um, Paddy Ryan with the Waratahs, and um, look, we, we utilise sport because those, the people within sport have such a huge profile, and, um, you know, if young people can see their heroes come out and say, yeah, look, it's, it is okay to talk, and that mental health isn't this, I had it, and it's not this big scary thing, um, that you know you shouldn't talk about, um, but I certainly think um, look, mental health in sport is something that absolutely needs to be addressed. Um, I know there are bigger organisations that have a lot of player welfare, and triathlon and maybe cycling isn't one that has all the budget to be able to provide that type of support for um, athletes. But it, I, I can only fathom how horrifically hard it is when you put all your eggs in one basket, whether it be the Olympic Games or a certain race or trying to make a certain team and something happens, whether it be injury or you just simply just weren't good enough to make that team. And um, it's really hard, I think, as an elite athlete and professional athlete that um, you really define yourself by your achievements. And so if you're not going well, then you just 
sometimes feel like a shitty person, like, you know, mm. a bad person. And, and it's really important to be able to separate yourself from the sport that you're doing and, and the person that you are. You, you know, we've seen so many people, uh, elite athletes, um, do very well in their sport, retire, and then just not know what to do with themselves. Mm. And they try and make these comebacks that usually don't work. Um, and I think that's just where they need more support. And, you know, you just need a bit more, you know, you're more than the athlete that, that you are, um, you know. So, yeah, I think it's really just the biggest thing is communication. You know, seek help. Um, we, um, if anyone wants to know more about Batir, just go to batir.com.au, B-A-T-Y-R. And, um, you know, if you're interested in any of the programs that we run there, but I think as a whole, it's just really important for people to talk. And so whether that be your coach, um, your parents, your friends, um, you know, talking is the heroic thing to be doing. It's not a weakness. It's mm-hmm. it's it's not an embarrassment. Um, and I think it's really prevalent in sport. Yeah, because, I mean, you can imagine, particularly with, with young people um, as a grown-up, there, there could be inherent fears that if they speak to their coach about an issue, that it could compromise their selection and things like that. But that's where I think it's important for sports federations as well to really have the right system in place where... Um, the well-being of the athlete is not just about their physical well-being and whether they're tracking well physically and not and even I say mentally for competition not you know there's a difference between being right mentally for competition and you're not necessarily right um, deep down personally are you mm. you could be carrying uh, an issue which uh, you don't know how to get it out yeah absolutely and I think you know sport is just bloody hard and 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 you know, a lot of um, people do get paid a lot to do it, um, and and sometimes there's a reason for that, and that that can be justified. But um, for those who aren't sort of making the cut, um, that either either through injury or you know they can be out for years, um, which can be really hard. And so again, if anything, just you know have a chat, make sure um, you know, particularly in triathlon, because there's so so much training, and um, sometimes a lot of that's covered up. By, by training so if you feel like you're doing you know you're just hating life if you skip a session or you don't you know the world is ending because you didn't get your PB in that one you know race or, or, or you know small training session I think just you know have a look at the bigger picture have a look at the bigger picture um, you know it is okay there's there's worse things going on in the world um, and just keep a little bit of perspective um, but if it, you know if, if that is going on, then it may be worthwhile having a chat to someone, or maybe just taking taking some time off. Well, thanks, Tilly, for those words and that insight. And, that, and the website address again? It's batir.com.au. B-A-T-Y-R.com. Yeah, you've heard it. You've heard it. <laughs> We're talking with Matilda Reynolds on what a ride. I'm Rupert Guinness.
to Water Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. Just before that nice bit of music, we were listening to Matilda Reynolds, Tilly Reynolds, uh, triathlete, but now uh, working for Specialised in Melbourne in their marketing department. But more importantly was the interview that we did with her earlier and uh, the work she was doing with Batir and on the issue of mental health uh, issues. Uh, and we were reflecting on that in the aftermath of the tragic passing of Dave Mira. But... Uh, this, it's a serious issue, and if any of you have uh, concerns or if you know of friends who uh, uh, you suspect uh, are struggling, um, don't be afraid to put a, a, an arm out or just to ask, are you OK? Or don't be afraid to ask. But let's uh, try and pick up gear a little bit here. Uh, Aaron, uh, I understand in your, in your travels uh, in New Orleans that... Um, You've been doing a few different interviews with different people and you've been going to quite a few bike shops, but I understand you've also bumped into one of the top-line bike fit specialists, uh, Robert Driscoll. Can you tell us a little bit about him and, uh, and um, what you spoke about and uh, what are we going to hear from him if that's what we're yep. going to hear about? Oh, no, absolutely, Ripper. Well, uh, look, I'm, there's a little bit of breaking news here. I just purchased my first road bike since 2006. Wow. So, yeah, I did. I, I, I shelled out. Obviously, Australian broadcasting media is paying us a, a handsome salary. So I, I was able to go out and splurge a bit. And uh, I purchased a new uh, 2016 Specialized Alley uh, Sprint X1. Now, it's the it's an alloy bike with carbon forks, which the new a top-end alloy. And i got to tell you, it weighs in around... Around 7.5, 7.6 kilos. Uh, I did, I did splurge with some new aero bars, some new carbon aero bars, and a pair of Zip uh, 202 carbon clinchers to just to to, to make it uh, to round the, the the actual purchase out nicely. Um, photos available, obviously, on my Instagram or Facebook account. Please go check it out. Uh, give a like if you do. If you do, if you don't, just uh, please pass on by. But yes, I was able to to sit down with the one and only Robert Driscoll from Pensacola, Florida, who's who's uh, made a uh, a name for himself for the last thirty years as one of the premier bike fit experts. He's part of that Andy Pruitt learning tree. Um, so uh, he's just a wealth of knowledge. He set up a shop there with the Body Geometry Fit at Bayou Bicycles here in New Orleans, and and literally people from all over the world fly in and come in, drive in, walk in, ride in to see this guy. And I was able to sit down for a few minutes after my bike fit where he had me all, I had the sensors on me and the, the laser lights and the and the levels and the computers and the di- diagnostics. Everything was on. He had, he had me hooked up to everything. And it went through about a, an hour and a half to two hour process, fit process. And uh, he did everything. And, and I was able to sit down with him for, for a few minutes afterwards and, and have a chat with him. Well, that sounds interesting. Let's have a listen to him. But one thing I've got to tell you, Aaron, you may be all set up. You've still got to ride the bike. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that, that, ex- that explains why the bike hasn't done much since the bike fit. It just uh, it looks good there on the corner of my room and uh, here in, my, in the condo here in New Orleans. i got to tell you, I did go about four or five days without using it as a clothes rack. But as, of, as we speak, I'm looking at the bike now, and there is a shirt draped over the handlebars. <laughs> all talk, all talk. Well, let's, instead of listening to you, Aaron, let's have a listen to Robert Driscoll and see what he has to say, the specialist in bike fit. Aaron Lee here with Water Ride, and I'm upstairs in the lair of Bayou Bicycles with bike fit specialist extraordinaire Robert Driscoll. Robert, I almost want to call you Dr. Driscoll after what I just went through. Unbelievable. How many how many checkpoints? How many stations did we just uh, did you just put me through? 
Well, we'll start off with an interview where we'll talk with the rider, find out about the different aches and ailments, things that are going on, their goals in their riding. Then we'll go through and follow a 20-step protocol that just gives me all types of little fine little things that are going on. And as a tailor of bikes, that's my tape measure. That's my area there to where, okay, up or down, forward or back, what's actually going on. Looking at the back, looking at uh, the knees, looking at the, everything that's really everything that's kind of going on is up there with the body. And then put the rider up and put them in some stress and then measure everything out. Now, of course, I mentioned we're here at Bayou Bicycles. Now, um, for those listening back home in Australia from around the world on iTunes, um, Bayou Bicycles, one of the premier bicycle shops, not only in Louisiana, but in the southeast of the United States for sure. Um, I just purchased the Specialized Alley Sprint X1, a bike you're quite familiar with because you got the limited edition number 75 of 100. Some people obviously have better connections than I do. Um, <laughs> that said, um, we just fitted the bike out. I've never had a proper bike fit before like that. That was... That was some serious science involved. It's it's amazing things, and I mean, and there's they're great guys. It's that they're all around the world. I mean, I, know, I have several mates down in Australia uh, that have been doing this just about as long as I have, and uh, doing wonderful things. I mean, uh, with it, so we bring science involved into the fit industry and the fit profession to where. Uh, it's no longer that voodoo magic type uh, set up there with a rider on a bike. Uh, we are looking at muscles, bodies, bones, everything that goes on. And so we spend a lot of time studying physiology to make certain that we do understand when riders come in and having aches and ailments, uh, we have to kind of diagnose what's going on yeah. but but of course that uh, you you obviously specialize in the high performance both cycling and triathlon you've got a who's who of clients throughout the years uh, you've got more than 20 years experience in this industry now i just passed through the the wall of fame uh downstairs coming uh up to the lair and i i must have encountered two three hundred names and 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 autographs and signatures and phrases uh obviously commenting on their experience here, but now you also fit just you know the yeah, layman as well, commuters, uh, people yes. who are just looking for general fitness, kids, uh, mothers, fathers, you name it. Everything. I mean, because anybody that spends time on a bicycle, of course, you want to be comfortable. The other thing that's great about with a proper fit is um, preventive medicine. We want to prevent injuries that could possibly occur due to poor knee tracking, due to different setups there. I mean, like yourself, Aaron, I mean, we found that you had a stance width adjustment based off your cue angle, and widening your stance, we're able to get your knees to where they track smoother, and that's going to not only give you a more efficient, more powerful pedal stroke, it's also going to help you out later in life with your cycling and everyday life, preventing things that 
do occur inside of our kneecaps. Now listen, we're up here in this, this Fit Studio, and it is remarkable. It is state-of-the-art. There is a lot of equipment in this place. We talked about the science involved earlier. There's a lot of technology up here. The, the major thing is, as Fit Specialist, is tools. Okay? And I have found in my 20-plus years of fitting is... I want the latest and greatest tool to assist me as a tool. Is, and so now having all of the technology available to find things or to show clients more so than it is for myself, because as a fit specialist for doing this as long, uh, I can take a goniometer and a plump bob and a trainer and do the replicate the exact same fits within reason there can be, but for specific type setups there. And this is great. I mean, and so now with FitWise too, you know, especially one of the things that Dr. Andy Pruitt, my mentor, has taught me over the years is one, we were doing professional bike fits on the average clientele off the street before our, our mates in the pro peloton even would adhere to it. So we are able to, but now of course, we live in a science-driven industry. So with that science-driven industry, being able to do 3D motion capture Manner, uh, being able to do video capture with high definition cameras, being able to point out small issues with a client, then we're able to also work with professional coaches and director sportifs for the teams and then get that rider better, more efficient, and of course in that pro level athlete, Help them achieve whatever their goals are. Please come by and visit Robert Driscoll. You can check him out on Facebook. Um, he's also with uh, Bayou Bicycles on their Facebook site as well. Bayou Bicycles Body Geometry Fit has their own Facebook page as well. Look them up, like them, come by and visit. And uh, definitely, if you get a chance in your area, stop by and at least visit and chat with Robert. He's, a, he's an absolute wealth of information. Uh, back to you, Rupert. Welcome back to What a Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. And Aaron, it's been a bumper edition, hasn't it, uh, of What a Ride? Um, we've spoken about a lot of uh, highs and some lows, some sobering thoughts, and also uh, with some nice uh, sort of technical um, bits. Obviously, I'm not so technical, so I can't even say what they are. But anyway, nice interview there with Robert Driscoll anyway. Aaron, uh, look, uh, what's, what's up with you in the next uh, in the next week? What are you up to? What are you doing? What are you thinking? Who are you talking to? Well, you know, at, at the moment, I've got a, as I told you prior to the show uh, off air there, I'm, I'm a bit behind schedule. Mardi Gras and the Super Bowl has put me a little bit behind at the moment. So I'm trying to wrap up uh, four or five uh Magazine features uh, coming up. Yeah, it sounds pretty exciting, mate. Uh, it sounds like you'll be a busy boy. I've, uh, I'm, I'm just sort of finishing up my book, hopefully, on the history of Australian cycling. Getting to the pointy end of the manuscript, which becomes you, sometimes you think the relief is coming with the end of the manuscript, but then in many ways that's the hard start. The hard part is about to start because uh, the editing process, the uh, the potential for creative clashes between yourself and the publisher start from there on, and then all the detail of editing and proofing and selecting pictures. 
Well, what is this, Rube? This is going to be, what, 13th, 14th book now? Uh, I'm back into even numbers, so it'll be 14 with this with this book. I don't want, didn't want to sit on 13. That's a that's a bad omen. So uh, hopefully this is, uh, this book will come out nicely with some nice photos, if not the words. Uh, but I'm pretty excited about it. It's going to be for the National Library of Australia, and uh, so at least it'll uh, hopefully uh, document accurately uh, the great history of the sport in Australia. And I've learned a lot from it. But uh, interesting enough, uh, there's so much of Australian cycling history. It's hard to fit into one book, but uh, I'll get through one book first, and then we'll see what happens after that. Well, you know, you always get the cherry assignments, and I'll tell you, this is no different. I, I saw the post you put up on Facebook today in the cycling scrapbook, and it just, it just absolutely, just a, a flood of comments coming back and, and contributions, naming some just phenomenal athletes and then riders over the over the last, you know, actually uh, decades prior. Yeah, I mean, that was quite fascinating, wasn't it? Like, within an hour, I think I had, like, 70, 70 responses and uh, and a lot of great names were put out there. And obviously, I'm not going to be able to include all those names, but, uh, you know, it's interesting how quick you can uh, put out there on, this, on the cycling scrapbook uh, just a simple request and the uh, the amount of, uh, uh, you know, knowledge that's out there amongst the cycling fraternity uh, is quite amazing, let alone opinion. And how much of those names that... You received some of the guys that they gave you that feedback. How many of those names had you already included on your list? Uh, well, fortunately, my, my list, because um, of that particular chapter, I can just let you know, it's just a chapter outlining um, uh, the, you know, great international riders who have come to Australia rather than just looking at great Australians who go internationally and and uh, so obviously I can't go through all of them but I just wanted to I did a little I've written a sort of an intro about how Australia's become a for a long time has been a popular destination for foreign riders and I wanted to give a snapshot of that to show how and uh, I've also I've done about 10 or 12 uh, little biogs of uh, some of the top stars uh, from that massive list that I was given, um, and their impact on Australia and where they raced in Australia. A lot of it was in the. A lot of them were track riders down in the um, Christmas carnivals in Victoria and South Australia, and particularly Tasmania. But uh, you know, you'd love to be be able to go back in time and sort of stand on the banks of those velodromes back in the uh, 1930s and 20s. Uh, just to see what it was like when cycling was an absolutely massive sport, as we hope it will still become again. No, absolutely. Now, I've got to ask you, you're, you're a couple of weeks removed now from the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, how are you finding life post-Fairfax? <laughs> oh, there is a life after Fairfax. Um, but <laughs> I have to say it, was, it, was, it wasn't as easy as I... I probably didn't expect it was going to be easy, but uh, leaving a place uh, where you've worked with some great people and it's a, a great institution, it's, you know, more than 175 years old, it's not that easy just to walk away. So uh, it was a little bit heavy on the heart. Um, it was heavy on the head the day after my farewell, and uh, after the last farewell, it seemed like I had a whole string of farewells. So, uh, but but life after is, uh, is is going well. I think this book is keeping me busy, and then uh, hopefully in the next week or so, I'll be able to firm up uh, who I'll be working for on a regular basis for the coming season of cycling. Well, I got I to tell you um, uh, before we, we head out of here that uh, I saw the uh, a couple of extended bits of the of the movie the program and of course uh you're one of the journalists that are that, that are portrayed in this in this movie i gotta ask you have you had a chance to see it and and, and what are your thoughts on uh the actor that uh, that's that's played rupert guinness 
Well, yeah, I have seen. I've seen it twice actually. Uh, I saw it at a uh, at a preview uh, media preview session uh, with a bunch of uh, uh, movie critics, and and I went and saw it with my with my stepmother, where there was an audience, where there were six people in the matinee. Um, so different sort of. My stepmother absolutely loved it. Um, I'm not sure how successful it was here in Australia or not, but uh, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was a, it was you know it was it, it was a script not written for the cycling specialist. It was a script written for. Um, the general broader audience who might have heard about Armstrong, uh, might have been aware of him being, uh, uh, you know, a dope cheat, but weren't necessarily aware of the whole intricacies of the story. So I thought uh, the script was pretty honest with uh, uh, of how the book um, Seven Deadly Sins, written, written by David Walsh, which uh, was a spot-on book, uh, and certainly was um, was was very factually correct and everything. So. Um, no, and, and really answer your question there, did I? But uh, my character, oh, I, th- I would have had different Hawaiian shirts, I thought, and uh, I think he had a bit more hair. But he's the hair he has was a lot greyer than the hair that I've got. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, was, uh, I look forward to seeing the entire episode and giving you a bit of a well, the, the, the entire movie and then giving you more of a, a critique from my side of it. Okay, Aaron, we'll do that. Well, look, it's been a great uh, uh, issue, well, edition of What a Ride, certainly for Aaron S. Lee and myself. I hope you all out there have enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us for another edition of What a Ride, and also stay safe out there, as we always say, a meter matters. That's it from us, from Aaron S. Lee in the States and me, Rupert Guinness, in Sydney. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Look after yourself, and we'll see you or hear from you, or you'll hear from us for the next issue of What a Ride.